Take your Bibles to the, the Gospel of John. Again, I welcome you. If you weren't here at the beginning, we welcome you online and joining in our service today. I received a text last night. Uh, often do from this individual and it just seemed to hit me with more meaning today than it has. This is a dear friend of mine who was a retired, is a retired pastor living in another part of Canada. He said, uh, we'll be thinking about you tomorrow morning before you ascend those pulpit steps. He always calls me James. James, the old Presbyterian raised pulpit was not to put the minister above the people, but to put the preached word over the people. James, as you ascend that pulpit tomorrow, your duty is to preach the word. James, I know that you know this. You don't take the preaching of the word lightly. That is why I'll be praying for you tomorrow morning. Wow. That's the kind of friends we need. The Gospel of John. If there was one word to capture the meaning and the summary of the Gospel of John, the word is believe. It's quoted over a hundred times in this Gospel. The word believe. It was John's goal as he wrote this account of the life of Jesus. He said, at the end of the gospel, in John 20, 31, I write these things that you might believe in the name of the only Son of God and might have life in his name as we sung. I found John to be a brilliant writer. He is Jewish by nationality and he imports all his Hebrew training in his writing style. Remember, this isn't a comprehensive chronological story of the life of Christ as you might write a history book. This is John gathering the, the ministry of Christ together, bringing together those important points so that his readers, when they read this gospel, would come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so he's amassed parts of the history of Christ. And he wrote this gospel, dividing it in two. And if I was leading a study on this in another context, I would entitle the first 12 chapters as the presentation of Christ and then chapter 13 to the end, the passion of Christ. 
he will spend as much time on the passion of Christ as he does on the person and ministry of Christ. In this first half where he presents the ministry of Christ, he employs seven signs. Remember, Jews are looking for signs. He employs seven signs, all pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. And he identifies them, starting with the water uh, at, the at the wedding at Cana and ending with the raising of Lazarus. These are all signs, seven of them. Remember, this is the same person that wrote the Revelation. He's going to employ things like seven to communicate something. In other words, this is a perfect represent representation of who Jesus is. Seven signs. Now we come to chapter 12 and the very last words recorded in the ministry of Christ before his passion. And John has selected the words of Jesus, excuse me again, that will bring this section to a closing. This is the conclusion. It summarizes the entire ministry in a sense and brings to a conclusion the ministry of Christ. And at center stage in what we're going to look at this morning is the issue of what does it mean to really believe? That should be something you have in your mind, please. What we're going to be hearing is what does it mean to really believe? That's going to be at center stage. Let me remind you of some things he's already said were false belief, spurious faith. Back in John 2, he said the people believed because they saw the signs. They saw the miracles. But John concluded that was not real faith. It's not real faith. It's not real faith to, to say I believe in Jesus for all I can get out of it. In John chapter 8, he points to a group of people who said they were believed, but they didn't continue in the faith. And John taught that true faith is a persevering, continuing faith. If it's real faith, it doesn't stop. In John chapter 12, earlier, he said that people believed in him, but they loved men rather than God. And he says that's spurious faith, that's a false faith. To love the things of this world and the people of this world more than Christ is not real faith. He even said that those who, of those who said they believed but wouldn't confess Christ because they had a fear of man. And he said that's not real faith, faith either. And today, what you're going to hear is that John is going to point us to this stark reality 
that to say that you have faith in Christ and not obey him is a false faith. That's the point John is going to make. Remember, we're asking the question, what is real faith? And John's going to say, real faith is an obedient faith. Real faith is an obedient faith. Beloved, let me say this as clearly as I possibly can and kindly. It is an inconclusive, in other words, you can't draw any conclusions from a person about their relationship with God simply by them saying, I believe in Jesus. You need more information. When someone says, I believe in Jesus, and that's all you know or hear, that is not enough evidence that they're saved and on their way to glory. So let's look at the text. John 12, 44 to 50. I hope you have your Bibles. John 12, 44 to 50. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. The main point that John is bringing out through quoting the words of Jesus is that the judgment of God on the final day will be based on our response to the word of Christ. The judgment of God on the final day will be based on our response to the word of Christ. And he tells us why. And the reason why is because Christ came to save sinners by speaking the words of the Father that we're to listen to and obey. We will be judged on our response to the word of Christ. Now I'm not going to take any time here. John took these words of Jesus and he formulated them in what is called a chiastic approach. It's very common among Hebrew writers. I'm certainly not going to explain this. If you want to know how this unfolds, that's why I post a transcript of my complete notes online. But I want to point out that when students, expositors are looking for the main point, 
It is not right that we should just say, well, I think this could be a good point, or I think that should be a good point. The text itself is, the, is, is what is to direct us as to what the main point is. And I can say with all confidence that the main point of these words of Christ is found in verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. And if you want to know how I get there, then there's those notes are available. That is John's argument, verse 48. How does he develop that argument? Well, he does it by affirming certain key things. And the first thing that he affirms is that the Father and the Son are indivisible. They are one. You see that in verse 44 and 45. Jesus cried out, and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. John communicates the truth that the Father and Son are miraculously and uniquely indivisible. They're one. You see one, you see the other. You hear one, you hear the other. I'm not going to spend a lot of time because... As I said, this is a summary of everything that's happened in the first 12 chapters. John has already explained this. But to be practical and get to the point, this means that a person who says, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus, is, is eternally wrong, is sadly wrong. This is why Islam is wrong. This is why Judaism is wrong. You cannot say you believe in God and not believe in Jesus. Jesus says we are one. In chapter 14, later on, we're going to read the words as Jesus spoke to Philip and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's, that's very clear. And so John, in, as he's developing his argument, as he's developing, he picks these words of Jesus and says, first of all, Jesus claims to be the Father. You can, you can imagine how disturbing that would be to the Jewish audience. But I think you can imagine how comforting that is to the early readers scattered among Asia Minor who are wondering if this Jesus is the Messiah. And these people can say, He is God. He and the Father are one. The next thing that Jesus says is, not only am I one, but I also speak on behalf of the Father. You see that clearly in verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me himself giving me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. The first point clarifies the, the, the question, is Jesus God? Yes, they are one. But the second point also clarifies 
what we understand about the Trinity, that although they are one in essence, one in nature, they are not the same person. They are particular in persons. Here we dive into the mysteries of the Trinity. The eternal relationship between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are eternally, are eternally the equal in essence and nature, but they are particular as persons and functions. And by the way, this describes for us what a perfect relationship is. A perfect relationship is to be totally equal in quality and essence, and yet distinct in person. It's what makes up our marriages. It's what makes up the, the composition of the church. Unity and diversity. This is why our country gets it wrong. When they only focus on diversity. And not on unity. Here we have a perfect picture of a relationship. But beloved, there's more here. It's so important that Jesus says, I do what the Father tells me to do. You know why? Because our justification depends on the fact that Jesus was obedient to the Father. How many of us this morning could say, yep, all my life I have done exactly what God wanted me to do. All my life I have said exactly what God wanted me to say. How many of us could say that? answer nobody but this miracle of salvation that Jesus brings to us is that if you and I will put our trust in a saving way in Christ God the Father freely and by grace grants us the perfection of his son and this is the perfection of his son I have obeyed you I have said what you wanted me to say. I have done what you wanted me to do. I have lived perfectly on behalf of Jim McClellan. I have lived perfectly on behalf of all those who have faith in me. Then thirdly, moving from the truth that God, the Father and Son are one and yet are particular in persons, Jesus moves on and teaches us that the words of the, fa the Father have given to the Son bring light and life. Look at verse 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. In verse 50, I know that this commandment is eternal life. In other words, the commandment that the Father gave to the Son to to say and do everything that the Father wanted, the obedience of that commandment provides eternal life to those who hear and respond. The Father has given the Son the responsibility to bring light and life to this world. Now in the Gospel of John, darkness does not mean ignorance. Darkness does not mean your lack education. Darkness means that you are walking in disobedience to the Father. You are morally contravening the law of God. 
Darkness is the result of those who reject the message of Christ. Darkness is the end result of those who might even say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't care about what he wants me to do. That's a statement of darkness. Actually, light and life in the Gospel of John are the same thing. He uses them interchangeably all the time. Darkness is the absence of eternal life. And eternal life is the inclusion of light. He uses them all the time interchangeably. I'm reminded as I go back to John chapter 1 verse 4. John writes about Jesus. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The life was the light of man. They're interchangeable. It's the idea is that when you have responded properly to the message of Christ, you have eternal life. And you're also walking in light. I hope you see the problem I'm creating. You can't say you have eternal life and yet walk in darkness. Are you seeing where I'm heading for this? And, and I'll come to this in the, in the next point. It is absolutely a, a contradiction of terms. It's a, it's a logical fallacy to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe I have eternal life. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And then walk in darkness. Because Jesus says, life and light are the same. You either have one or the other, not one and not the other. So having said these three things, John now comes to the main point in the words of Jesus. And the main point again is this. Judgment is based upon our response to the word of Christ. Several times in the last few weeks, I've stood up here and said words like this that are, you have heard it said, but. Well, here's another one. You have heard it said that at the end of the day, what you have done with Jesus is what matters. There's truth there. I won't deny that. But John gets through the cloudiness and the ambiguity and takes us right to what that really means. It's not so much of what you will do with Jesus at the end that matters. It's what you will do with the words of Jesus that's going to matter. It's what you and I have done with the words of Jesus. And John is showing us in a stark reality that faith in Jesus is synonymous with obedience to Jesus. If you're wondering what my main emphasis is here, you've just heard it. Faith in Jesus is synonymous. It's the same thing as obedience 
to Jesus. Back in John chapter 3, verse 36, he made this so clear, and we talked about it back there. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We like that, that we're comfortable with that. But watch what he says using a Hebrew rhetorical uh, 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 skill by taking the same phrase and saying it again, but in a different way. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Now, and he flips it on his head, and then he says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Do you see that? There is absolutely nothing in John's mentality that thinks that you can believe in Jesus and not obey Jesus. It's just totally... In, it is totally contrary to his thinking that a person can believe in Jesus and not be a person who is obeying Jesus. And so he clarifies this in John 12, 47 and 48. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Kenneth Gangle, the expositor, rightly concludes, and I quote him, quote, The focus of judgment will be actually on the word of God. God's words through Jesus as well as through the prophets and other biblical writers, form the final authority for obedience. They are the message of faith. God will ultimately judge people by how they received and responded to what the Bible says. God will ultimately judge people by how they received and responded to the Bible, what the Bible says says. This is not a new thought, beloved. This is just didn't appear in John chapter 12. You heard the scripture passage, which I intentionally asked Brother Tim to read with us. It is not those who say, Lord, Lord, but it is those who do the will of my Father that I will recognize. Do you hear that? It is not those who purport to preach and do miracles. It is not those who say, Lord, Lord, with a sense of intimacy, like I love God. Judgment is based on those who do the will of my Father. Someone might say to me as a matter of objection, and I would welcome objections. But Pastor Jim, I thought salvation was by grace through faith. You seem to be adding works to this. You're adding, oh, and you also have to be obedient. And that's a good objection. And it is true that salvation is by grace. It's a gift. And it's received by faith, by trust. That is true. But the Bible teaches that saving faith 
is an obedient faith. The Bible teaches you can't separate faith and obedience as if they're two different things. Let me remind you of, of Hebrews chapter 11. Just a few words in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. Faith has an accompanying response to it if it's true faith. We've all heard the, pre the famous preacher story. Preachers have used this for years. Of the little child that is standing on a table and daddy comes up to the table and says to the little boy or little girl, do you believe that daddy can catch you? And the child says, yes. Then jump. I mean, jump. <laughs> Why are you standing there? You believe I can catch you. Why aren't you jumping? You see, we all have it intrinsically in us that if you really believe something, you will act on that faith. And biblical faith is a faith that acts. Like James chapter 2 says that if your faith has no action, it's not faith. It's not faith at all. It's dead. Faith isn't a passive feeling that we get. It's not just some sort of tingle down our spine. Faith isn't some sort of intellectual idea. Biblical faith is an active faith. The very nature of faith includes a response. The biblical teaching is that if you have faith, you respond to what you believe. Otherwise, you don't have it. I'm going to be blunt here. If I put a bunch of stories together, this is what I can hear from Christians. This is what I've heard from Christians, speaking of someone they know. And some of you, it'll, it'll ring familiar to you. They'll speak of an individual, often a relative. But they'll speak of an individual. And they'll acknowledge that this person never opens and reads God's Word. They will acknowledge that this person is not living an obedient life to God's Word. They will acknowledge that this person is not a person of prayer. They will acknowledge that this person expresses no desire to walk in holiness, no desire to deal with sin in their life, no desire to pursue hard after the things of God. They will acknowledge all that, and then they will say, but they believe in Jesus. As a pastor that's been here for many years, I've heard that many, many times. And my heart breaks. And I've even heard it from other pastors. If I've had one prayer over the last few days, is that God would so convict us as a church those that are here listening online, those that are sitting here, that that kind of rhetoric will no longer be part of our speech. 
It should be no longer part of our thinking that a person can walk in wanton disobedience with no concerns over the things of God, no concerns over the things of Christ, no concern to pursue holiness, which by the way the scripture says if you don't pursue holiness you will not see God. And all they do is say, yeah, Lord, Lord. I love God. I love Jesus. But there's nothing that expresses active obedience in conjunction with that faith. And Jesus is correcting this in a powerful way for you and I this morning. How you respond to my words is how you will be judged. Obedience is not a prerequisite to salvation. Please don't hear that in what I'm saying. Obedience is in company with faith. It's accompanied by faith. Turn one more passage before I draw this to a close. Hebrews chapter 6. Some of my brothers who disagree with me on certain matters of doctrine, they love to take me to Hebrews chapter 6. It's their favorite, favorite place to go, and I love to go there with them. It's uh, my favorite journey. For they, there they will remind me, as the first few verses in chapter 6 state, that there can be people who are enlightened, people who have tasted of the gift of the Spirit and so on, and they turn away and they're lost. And, that, and so far it sounds like they're right. And my answer always be to the brother or sister and say, I love you, but keep reading. And that's what I'm saying to you right now. Keep reading. Go to verse 9. What does verse 9 say in your Bible? Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that, what? Belong to salvation. Saving faith has a company of elements to it. It, it has things that belong to it. And saving faith is an obedient faith. Obedience belongs to faith. You can't separate them. The judgment of God is going to be based upon our response to the word of Christ. And this brings me back to a very simple but profound point this morning. When you and I say to ourselves and to one another, we believe penetrating question that we need to ask ourselves is does, what does that say about our response to the Bible? The argument of John is that the word of God came from the Father and was given to the Son to communicate to us so that if we believe we'll have eternal life and our judgment will be based upon how we respond to that word. 
If we deny the word, if we disobey the word wantingly and without repentance, it's a very difficult thing to arrive at to say, well, I have faith. I believe. Again, the words of Jesus, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, he says, I don't judge him. He's not, Jesus isn't there right there to judge. He's there to save. But the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. And what is the judge? The word I have spoken. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. John 12, 47 to 48. So my question to all of us this morning is, how are you responding to the word of Christ? How are you responding to the word of Christ? My appeal and my prayer is that you have true saving faith. And if you're here this morning and you have some idea that you believe in Jesus, but you are not living a life that is concerned about your walk and your talk and your obedience, I pray that after this service you will get down on your knees and cry out to God that he will save you. In the end, it's obedient faith that is saving faith. Let us pray as I invite Sherry and the team to come. Lord Jesus, you, you end this section of John with some very hard teaching. Last Sunday, we... Reluctantly and yet in a way of, of, of true belief, we, we recognize that it is possible for a person to reject you so often that you finally harden their hearts and reject them. And now you've even penetrated the question deeper in my heart and in the hearts of those who have heard this morning that simply saying that we believe in Jesus is not enough. The question is, do we obey you? Have we truly surrendered our lives under your lordship? Father, you know what you want to do with this message. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would take by your Holy Spirit these truths and bring about a transformation in all of our lives, whether it's in our thinking, in our behavior, in our conduct. Change us, O Lord. And we pray this for the glory of Christ. Amen.